Elon Musk, the wealthiest man in the world, just acquired 9.2% of Twitter's stock, making him the majority shareholder. As you are probably aware, Twitter is one of the most egregious platforms concerning censorship. If you contradict or conflict with any establishment narrative supported by the government or multi-billion or trillion dollar industries, Twitter will find a justification at some point to take you off Twitter. Musk has long been an advocate of free speech and has expressed strong aversion to Twitter censorship. So, what changes might we see in Twitter now that Musk has significant influence? The Dr. Reality Vodcast with Dave Champion. Let's define the problem, and then we'll move on to what Musk may do about it over Twitter. Whether we're talking Twitter or any other social media platform that engages in censorship, the way they do this is they create rules that are exceedingly vague, and any time a controversial subject becomes important to millions of people, most specifically we're going to be talking about millions of Americans— which almost certainly means that it becomes important to the government and it becomes important to these multi-billion or multi-trillion dollar industries. Once that happens, if the push, if the direction of the dialogue is adverse to the narrative the government wants to see and these billion dollar industries want to see, then Twitter simply adds that subject to the list of things concerning which it is impermissible to contradict or say something that is in conflict with the government or what these billion-dollar industries want the public to hear. Once Twitter has added it to its list, then when a person speaks in opposition to the establishment narrative, Twitter says, ah, you're spreading misleading information, and punishes the person up to and including taking them off of Twitter permanently. So, who decides what is misinformation? Well, the government and large institutions funded by these same multi-billion or trillion dollar industries we just talked about, who decided that it's impermissible to say anything that's in conflict with or in opposition to the narrative they want the public to hear. The situation is so bad over Twitter that Twitter refuses to disclose what entities it relies upon in determining what is or is not misinformation. Uh, Twitter knows if it was to reveal the entities that it allows to determine, quote, misinformation for Twitter, then people would see it for what it is. So Twitter won't reveal that information. The bottom line is that Twitter and these other platforms that engage in censorship are simply acting as gatekeepers for the establishment, and in particular, narratives the establishment does not want people to understand are false. Since Musk doesn't dig these rules at Twitter that lead to censorship, now, with Musk having significant influence at Twitter, what changes might we expect? My prediction is that over the next several months, we're going to see Twitter begin to remove or significantly modify these rules that it uses to engage in censorship in defense of establishment narratives. If Twitter's CEO declines to 
roll back or highly modify those rules, Musk essentially has two options. He can significantly increase the number of shares that he owns in Twitter, which would give him even more influence up to and including at some point removing the CEO. Or he can simply sell his stake in Twitter and go open a competitive platform. I think it's important to understand where Musk is coming from. He has characterized platforms such as Twitter as the de facto town square, which is interesting because I've been asserting that social media is the new town square for several years now. It's part of my view on the reason that social media platforms can and should be regulated out of censorship. Back in the days of the Founding Fathers, when uh, freedom of speech, as far as the United States was concerned, was sort of viewed as a right and preserved for all Americans, the town square was huge. You'd have a small community. There would be a central area of the town, the town square. Oftentimes, there'd be literally a tree stump. And people who wanted to talk almost exclusively about politics, people would stand up on that stump in the town square and they would say, my fellow citizens, I want you to understand that, or my view is... And this was stumping in the town square. And that was the, that was the basis, that was the core of where public free speech took place in America. That was the birth. That was the beginning. That's how it was done. That's the genesis of the mechanism of free speech in the United States. So, how many towns still have a small town square? They have something like a stump, even if it's something that's been constructed for the purpose of standing upon it and speaking to your fellow citizens. How many communities in America have that ability? And if somebody were to go there and get up and begin to speak, in today's hectic society, people can't come from all around to be in that town square to hear that person talk. So that is a no longer viable model. And just like the press, as in freedom of the press, morphed from a single guy running a hand-crank wooden press to get out a one-page newspaper 200-plus years ago has morphed into multi-billion dollar media conglomerates, the town square has morphed into social media sites such as Twitter. There are a lot of people who will not believe that Twitter is stepping away from censorship unless or until a number of the people who have been removed, permanently removed from Twitter are brought back. I'm sure you can probably think of some people who were deplatformed from Twitter and you'd like to see their accounts come back online. Of particular interest to me are certain science commentators. I'd like to share a quote with you from Einstein who said, Freedom of communication is indispensable for the development and extension of scientific knowledge. It must be guaranteed by law, but laws alone cannot secure freedom of expression in order that every man may present his views without penalty. There must be a spirit of tolerance in the entire population. Close quote. With Einstein's quote as the backdrop, I'll be very curious to see whether Twitter brings back Dr. Robert Malone and Alex Berenson, along with restoring all of the people who were following them. So what about Trump? 
Okay, so Trump is going to be a little bit of a different story. Let me share what I believe is going to happen concerning Trump. No matter what happens, I mean, even if suddenly Elon Musk became the CEO of Twitter, which is never going to happen, but nevertheless, uh, even if something like that were to happen, we're not, we're not going to see, in my opinion, Trump brought back immediately. I suspect that Twitter, no matter who is running Twitter, is going to wait to see the report from the January 6th House Committee. They're going to want to see what evidence the committee makes public. And let me explain that comment. No platform. It doesn't matter whether it's it's a platform that uh, is known for non-censorship. No platform is going to allow someone on who advocates or has advocated violence. I'm not saying Trump did that. What I'm saying is before Twitter brings Trump back, they're going to want to see the evidence. And let me explain to you how I believe this is going to go down. If Twitter's attorneys and Twitter's executive staff and the board of directors, they look at what's laid out in the January 6th committee's report, and there is language in there that is indicative that Trump knowingly intended his rally to go down the street and commit a violent assault of the Capitol building, then they're not going to bring him back. However, if the language of the report, even if it sounds condemnatory concerning Trump, but if the language is things like, he should have known uh, what reaction his words would engender, or something like, having seen the violence occur, he didn't react quickly enough to encourage his followers to stop committing the acts of us. Things that indicate he didn't intend for it to happen and he didn't make it happen. So the committee may still be critical of Trump, but if the language doesn't indicate that Trump intended to or knew that or planned that violence would or should occur, if there's no language that indicates that concerning Trump, especially if Musk has his way, I'm pretty confident they'll bring Trump back. But again, if the language that the January 6th committee brings forward indicates that at least in the committee's opinion, Donald Trump knew what he was doing from the minute he opened his mouth and his agenda was to have them march down the street and get violent down at the Capitol building. If that message is there, then it's unlikely Twitter will bring him back. We'll have to see what the January 6th report says, and then you can acid test the language of the report against my view that I'm sharing with you here today. Let us say that Musk is successful at Twitter, and they strike a number of their rules, and they significantly roll back censorship, and they bring back people like Dr. Robert Malone and Alex Berenson and perhaps Donald Trump. Can we then expect to see somebody like Musk do the same thing at platforms such as Facebook and Google? Absolutely not. And the reason is the stock structure at Google and Facebook are different. The founders there have something called super voting rights. I'll give you an example. Sergey Brin and Larry Page, who are the founders of Google, at this moment in time, they only own 14% of Google. And of course, Google owns YouTube, which is why we're talking about platforms that engage in censorship. So they only own 14% of Google. However, because of super voting rights, they have 56% of the votes when shareholder voting takes place. 
The same is true concerning Zuckerberg and Facebook. So it would be absolutely impossible for somebody like Musk to buy shares of Facebook or buy shares of Google and affect the same change that he may very possibly be able to affect at Twitter, where there is no super voting rights vested with the founders. This kind of discussion about platform censorship um, isn't merely academic for me. I have had my YouTube channel deplatformed. Uh, Facebook, about a mm, year and a half ago, removed my Dr. Reality business page that had 150,000 followers. Boom. That fast, 150,000 people in 12 years of work, gone. So I understand censorship in a, in a way that perhaps people who haven't had that experience don't quite feel about censorship. My most notable works in writing... Income Tax Shattering the Myths, and Body Science, both cut hard against the establishment narrative. They go through the evidence and they completely eviscerate the establishment narratives on their respective fields. One is the, the income tax and the other is physiology with an emphasis on nutritional physiology. So in the case of income tax shattering the myths, we take a look at from all the way from 1895 forward, what the laws say and the Constitution says and the Supreme Court has said and Treasury orders say and Treasury decisions and internal IRS documents they never thought anybody outside the agency would ever see and so forth. We take a look at all the way from 1895 forward concerning the income tax and show, not speculate, absolutely prove beyond a shadow of a doubt that Congress has never imposed the income tax on the average American. So again, it utterly destroys the establishment narrative that probably 98% of the U.S. public believes that, oh, well, if you go out and you earn some money, you owe some to the government. It's absolute poppycock in all of the evidence is an income tax shattering the myths. Body science, I take the same thing. I take 60 years worth of science fraud committed by various billion-dollar and trillion-dollar industries that all they want to do is they want to continue to promote them making billions and trillions of dollars, and they really don't care how many Americans get ill, how many Americans die prematurely, how many Americans suffer for decades with chronic diseases. They just don't care, and they have blatantly lied to the American people. So I take you through all of that in body science, and then we get into a discussion of how the human body really works, the true physiology of the human body. Because especially when it comes to nutritional physiology, these industries have spent billions of dollars so that all of the information you see is a narrative that's false. And much of that false narrative you've probably accepted over the last couple decades. So I take, I explain how all of that occurred in the first place, why many people believe what they believe, which is utterly false. I destroy the establishment false narratives. I explain how human physiology works. And, and then I say, if you want to stop, if you want to get healthy, if you want to stop getting sick because they're telling you lies, you actually want to follow true human physiology and be exceedingly, exceptionally healthy. I lay that out and how to do that in body science. So if you value Number one, the sort of analysis I've done today. And number two, if you value the truth over false establishment narratives, go to drreality.news. Grab yourself a copy of Income Tax Shattering the Myths and or Body Science. You have my word. They will be two of the most fascinating books you have ever read in your life. And in fact, if you let them, they will change your life. Thanks for being here. 